uh, as we lead up into Easter. God's providence, this week I was meeting with uh, a leader from our uh, neighborhood, and he and I see uh, things uh, a little bit differently, as you can imagine, which I think, you know, is often a, a wonderful thing. But as we sat and discussed, uh, it, it was clear, like, one of the things that we didn't hold, even though we hold a lot of things in common, one of the things we didn't hold uh, in common was faith and our understanding of, you know, ultimate things uh, like the gospel and a worldview like that. Yet at the same time, we have this heart for our community. We have a desire to see goodness and shalom, if you will, peace come to our community. We both uh, talked about wanting to see the vulnerable protected. We, we want to see people be able to exercise the liberty of bringing their whole self into public spaces without fear of judgment or condemnation or even violence. We want, we want the voiceless to be given audience and dignity. We desire to see people connect with in meaningful relationships, not only in shorter, but even larger networks, meaningful relationships. And what's, what's more, what was wild in the middle of this conversation is we both were crazy enough to believe this actually could happen. That, that there was this kind of hope that we had that these sorts of things could take root in not only our world, but specifically in our neighborhood. Now, our very desire, if you will, for a world or, or a neighborhood like this presumes that, or a neighborhood like this presumes that this world doesn't exist yet. That, in other words, we want the vulnerable because judgment is one of the favorite devices of this generation. We want heard because less and less powerful people have inclination to listen to anybody or to lay down their rights. We want people to be connected because, especially for the past couple of years, we've been incredibly isolated. You see, the power of hope, I think, is that it springs out of this place of desolation. It comes out of this place of realizing that you need hope. Something in your world is happening that is causing you to desire hope. And everyone, it seems like these days, has an idea about how to bring hope. How these days has an idea about how to bring hope. How to that believe it's education or money, or government or autonomy or, or autonomy or, or really happiness at some short order. I can't tell you how many podcasts there are now that are just expressly designed to make you happy. This is their intent on doing this because we believe that happiness will pull us out of desolation or despair. See, what makes our society, I think in its truest sense, liberal or pluralistic or diverse, is our understanding about how to fix this society. We are perhaps no more diverse than we are when it comes to how to fix what we believe is broken. And isn't it interesting? We all believe that something should be fixed. We all agree that something is broken. We all agree that life is not as it should be. And therefore, we all long for this idea of hope. Hope in its probably most simplest way, and I'd like to explore it this way today. Hope is living with faith that tomorrow will be better. For whatever reason, hope is living with faith that tomorrow is living with faith that tomorrow will be better. For whatever reason, hope is living with faith that tomorrow will be better. Will be better. And when we talk about faith in Christian story, when we talk about hope, we think about something not only of a better tomorrow, but we usually in the life to come right? Or maybe in your heaven a lot, or the age to come, or what one scholar N.T. Wright calls the life after life after death, which is, you know, it feels a little bit like the matrix, but I think it's a helpful idea, this life after life after death. In other words, when we talk about hope, usually within a Christian context, we usually are talking about a very distant tomorrow. We're talking about a very distant tomorrow. 
But what about tomorrow, right? Like tomorrow, tomorrow. Like not today, but tomorrow. Does the Christian story give us any reason to believe that life can change better within our lifetimes, that life can become better, that things can get better in our lifetimes, or even in 24 hours? Or, or is the Christian hope sort of relegated to such a distant future, right? It seems like whenever we feel like we get into something that we can't quite figure out as Christians, we just go, oh, it'll be better in heaven, right? We just take a pass for our entire lifetime and this whole existence, right? And so the question for us to really explore today is that the Christian hope, does Christian hope bear any impact on our life today? Or are we simply waiting for the life after life after death? When we think about Christian hope, resurrection really is at the center of that. Resurrection is uh, the substance of Christian hope. Paul tells the early church in Corinth was a great place of desolation, right? He says in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith, he says, is in vain. Christian hope depends on resurrection. See, while some argue that religion, any kind of spiritual practice or belief system, some would say no matter if it's true or not, it can be helpful. It provides some semblance of peace, some structure, some moral language for life. Usually when people find out I'm a, I'm a pastor, one of the things that they say, well, it's good to have a faith. There is a presumption that having faith is helpful in a society. Or most people just look at me confused and they go, you look so young, why are you throwing your life away? And we have a different conversation. It's a true story. <laughs> Paul is though saying that tomorrow is ultimately only better if Jesus actually died and then actually rose from the dead. Or to put it another way, Paul is saying that your life can only be beautiful if it's true, built and based on something, not just if your mind is put in a place where you can get through life in a happy disposition. Are you with me? That if Jesus actually rose from the dead, then tomorrow does not actually begin after you die. In Christ, then tomorrow is supposed to begin today. We're not longing for just a future hope. We actually are encountered by the one who is hope right now. This is very different than just it helps me get through life or I have hope in heaven. That's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about a hope which makes today better. I want to talk about a hope that is so good it doesn't wait for you to die. A hope that shows up in your life. I want to talk about hope that actually changes systems and transforms people. I want to talk about a hope that makes neighborhoods right now more reflective of the kingdom of God. See, many of us know what's happening in the near west or the northwest side of the city and just going, it's changing, there's no hope. Well, the last time I checked, if Jesus rose from the dead, there's always hope for us to see kingdom ideology and kingdom power transform neighborhoods, whether it's Logan Square, Humboldt Park, South Loop, wherever you call home, that same power bears meaning and capacity today. So over the next month, I want to talk about how resurrection or the resurrection of Jesus Christ, how it really happened and why it really is very hopeful for us today. So let me pray and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, as always, um, when we open your word, uh, it, it only makes so much sense without your help. To be sure, it's translated for many of us in a language that we recognize and yet at the same time, to understand the meaning behind the meaning and to see beyond what is plain reading of a text. And what's more than that, to actually be transformed 
on the spot, that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts both ways, that if we're comfortable, it will bring affliction. And if we are afflicted, it will comfort us. If any of that is to happen, it will be a mark and a work of your grace. And so I do ask that you would help us. Help us to hear your word. Help us to be submissive to your word. Help us to find joy in your word. In particular, as we consider the resurrection, help us to understand what it means, what it looks like for us to walk forward in humility, what it walks to walk forward in obedience so that it be for our good and the good of this world. We ask in Jesus' name. Everybody agreed and said, amen. All right, Ezekiel chapter 37, uh, as was pointed out between Lamentations and Daniel, a uh, little, little context for us, since it may have been a minute since you explored the writings of Ezekiel. Um, Ezekiel is a collection of visions and writings from uh, this prophet named Ezekiel during a time when Israel is in Babylonian captivity. So they are not home somewhere in the midst of the 6th century BC, and they are not home because they've been exiled as a consequence of their sin. So this is not actually outside of God's control. God is very much in control of this consequence and therefore desires to use this time to shape, direct, and guide and comfort his people. And at the time of Ezekiel's writing, a lot has gone down. They're about 12 years into exile. Uh, The capital city of Jerusalem has fallen. The temple, where all of the centerpiece of worship and of religion was happening, had been destroyed. And many had been slaughtered. And understandably, in the midst of all of that, it would be understandable if they had lost hope or if they felt like hope was thin. And so it's in the middle of that desolation, that context, that now Ezekiel writes. And here's what he says in the middle of that desolation, verses 1 through 3. And the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. So Ezekiel has a vision, and the hand of the Lord, as well as the Spirit of the Lord, give us an indication that what he's about to experience is not happenstance, that it's a matter of divine instruction and of divine inspiration. He's not making this up. It's, it's not purposeless. See, God is showing his people something through what Ezekiel is about to experience. So what's he see? Ezekiel sees a kind of an eerie picture, right, of a valley full of bones. In fact, Ezekiel says there are very many and they are very dry. So he's even giving a specific details. Instead of just going, look at that and move on, he's experiencing. Do you see that? And in the middle of this valley of bones, instead of just going, look at that and move on, which many of us would be like, never show me that again. He says, why don't you sit just for a minute? Let's talk. Let's have a conversation in the middle of a valley of dry bones. And he asks him a question. Son of man, can these bones live? Son of man, can these bones live? In other words, God is asking in the midst of desolation, is there hope? Is there hope? Can they live again? Can tomorrow be better? See, bones are not only the remains of the dead, but exposed bones are the remains of someone who has been dead for a while. There is serious decomposition that has happened. Not only so, but in the Hebrew consciousness, unburied bones were unclean, extremely unclean. So the question of hope that that God asks in the middle of this is multifaceted. People haven't just died, they've been dead, and now they are unclean. And Ezekiel knows all of this. He would have intuited this right away. And so he answers the Lord, O Lord, what does he say? 
you know. This is a great way to respond to God, by the way, when he asks a question. Like, you know, it's a good place to start. In other words, if these bones are to live again, it will only be an act of your sovereign will. This is what he tells him. So can tomorrow be better? God only knows. God only can say. And God only can will. He can only will it to happen. And so having established this, that, that only the Lord can bring life to dead bones, he gives Ezekiel some instructions. Look at verse 4. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, bones, hear the Lord, says the Lord God to these bones, and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with breath in you, and you shall live and shall know that I am the Lord. So the question of hope is multifaceted because question of hope is multifaceted because of you, and you shall live and shall know I am Lord. So the question of hope is multifaceted because desolation, death, is multifaceted. Notice through these instructions, the Lord hits, or hints rather, at something. The issue goes well beyond death. These bones are disjointed. These bones are disembodied. These bones are even languishing. We know from verse 11 that these bones represent God's people. And so Ezekiel's vision is really a commentary on Israel. And when that begins to happen biblically, in biblical theology, we know that there is also a commentary for us to understand about all of humanity, and particularly those who are religious. So what does this reveal? What does this passage tell us? Well, the first thing I think it reveals and tells us is that people are disconnected, inwardly and outwardly. After all, these bones used to be connected. Let me... I'm just basic, right? These bones used to be connected, not only within themselves, but to each other. This used to be a community of people. So part of desolation of humanity is that we are inwardly and outwardly disjointed. And can we just be real this morning? Perhaps now more than ever. Disjointed and disconnected. See, at the beginning of the year, journalist Matthew Iglesias reported that on a national scale last year, Deadly car accidents, shootings, murders, altercations on airplanes, drug overdose, and even violence in schools all increased. Many of those hit their all-time high in 2021. I've spoken with multiple local public school educators about the rise of even elementary school anger and violence in Logan Square. It's true. We've been through a collective trauma, and inwardly, we are unsure of ourselves more than in any other point, perhaps, of our lives. This is why many of us are going to counseling for the very first time ever. Others of us are estranged from family member or friends who used to be a part of our most inward communities and our most intimate communities. And beyond our immediate circle, then this causes us to look outward, and we're just mad skeptical of everybody. Like the first thing I think is stranger danger, right? It used to be a joke, but it's like, no, that's probably really wise counsel. I ought to live my life like that. See, we are a valley of dry and disconnected bones, is what Ezekiel is saying. Perhaps, as a result, people embody judgment. New York Times columnist David Brooks has observed that in previous generations, one of the highest values of our society was freedom from judgment. No one wanted to judge anybody and nobody wanted to be judged. 
judgment and being judgy was morally and socially repugnant. Now, I don't know about, just, remember I love you so much, experiencing this with you. We judge everybody. We judge everybody. Today we feel an extreme liberty, it seems to me, to judge people with the slightest bit of information. We write whole stories about people in our head when we know next to nothing about them. Before I met with this person this week, I had all kinds of stories I was telling myself about them because I knew a couple of bits of information. I'm like, I know how this story connects. I know what you're like. You're totally against me, and we're going to go to blows, right? I think this is particularly true when the bit of information we have of someone is contrary to the tribe that we identify with. When they have like one of the things that's different from our group and what we've decided is ultimate reality, think about it. God help us. To know the solitary fact that someone voted for Donald Trump in 2016 caused some of us to believe that that person must be a racist. For others of us, knowing that someone is fully vaccinated and boosted and wears a mask causes us to think, well, they, they must be a mindless communist, right? We all of a sudden have names to label people. Think about what's happening in Florida right now. Over the pejoratively described don't say gay bill, the bill is attempting to limit, if not completely remove, curricula and literature, which mentions non-binary and same-sex representation in K through third grade. And having just a cursory understanding of what that's going like in Florida, depending on which side you fall on that conversation, you're either seen as a bigot or a groomer. Those are like the two options. What is going on? We're embodying judgment. With the slightest bit of information, with voting one way or another, or seeing one issue one way or another, we have become a valley of dry and judgmental bones. Our inward and outward disconnection, our increased judgmentalism, I think is leading to the opposite end of what we think it's going to lead to. We think we'll find life that way, but actually we find lifelessness. People are languishing in the middle of this. I've sat with some of you through this, reflecting on the pandemic dominating again in 2021, psychologist Adam Grant explained that we're experiencing lifelessness or what he calls languishing in very new ways and on a much larger scale than ever before, or ever in our lifetimes at least. He writes, languishing is a sense of stagnation and emptiness. It feels as if you're muddling through your days, looking at your life through a foggy windshield, and it might be the dominant emotion, he says, of 2021. He calls languishing the neglected middle child of mental health. In other words, flourishing is our peak, depression is our valley, and languishing is this abyss in the middle. This happens spiritually, too. If you remember from Revelation, Jesus says, because you are lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold, I spit you out. It's this mushy middle that you and I have grown so familiar with through the pandemic. I'm seeing this in our own church family as well. Things that used to be everyday, run-of-the-mill challenges that were easy to overcome are now reasons to ghost your church family for months. They're reasons for us to disengage from community. Things that used to just be, oh yeah, this happened, it was fine, we figured it out. Now it's like, because that happened, I'm going to take three days off and just take some personal compassion days, right? So we're languishing. We don't have the energy. We don't have the wherewithal. And, and I know, like, I used to be a really patient person, at least allegedly. 
before 2020, I hear I was way patient. Now it's like one thing happens and I go berserk. I think I'm being attacked. I think my character is being questioned. And there's lifelessness in that. We're languishing. Things that used to give us life, now we are skeptical and create distance. We are a valley of dry and languishing bones. This is the desolation of Ezekiel's vision. It's, it's what was true of Israel's Babylonian exile, and I think it's true of our cultural moment too. In God's providence, this text speaks to us in 21st century Chicago in a way perhaps that it's never spoken to us so clearly before. They were a valley of dry bones. We are a valley of dry bones. They needed some hope. And I don't know about you, but I Wow. That's a different kind of Christian hope. Of Christian hope. Who invades conversations with their friends and with and with my interactions with you and places that that, that and places that, that, that matter and have meaningful impact and my neighbor, right? Are, are you picking up what I'm throwing down? I want a Jesus who has some hope to offer that, like who I talk to tomorrow, not just where I'm going to go when I die. So can these bones live? Can tomorrow be better? Well, Ezekiel says what I think we got to say. God only knows. God only can say. God alone can will it. So in Ezekiel's day, in Ezekiel's day, it was, it was interesting. In, in ancient Israel, hope looked a different kind of way. And we have to be careful to, to presuppose our New Testament vision of hope back on Israel's vision of hope. See, when you and I think about hope, we naturally are drawn to resurrection or hope of heaven or the age to come, as we've discussed. But Israel's vision of hope or life after death was grounded in their identity as a people their identity as a nation. This is why we read so much in the Old Testament about children and land. After all, what endures after you are gone is your children, your seed, your family, and your land. And so for ancient Israel, God's hope, future hope, was given through the gift of children and through their home. And yet in exile, what's been taken from them? Their land and their children are dying. So this is, this is a place where now the things that they looked at as the, the visible evidence of their hope are, have now been taken away from them. So is there hope there? Can tomorrow be better? Can these bones live? Can people be connected again? Can people embody something besides judgment? Can people find life again? God only knows. And he does. God can only say, and he does. God can only will it. And through Ezekiel, he says, I will it. More specifically, God tells Ezekiel to take some action and speak. And I love this. Let's not overlook this. Ezekiel is like, God, only you can do it. And then he gives him a charge. He says, God, only you can do it. And he says, here's what I want you to do. And in many respects, God is fulfilling the work of his kingdom, if you will, through his church, his people, right? Look at Ezekiel 37, verse 7. So I prophesied. As I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. Don't you love that? And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on the slain that they may, they may live. So I prophesied. 
as he commanded me and breathe, or rather breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. At the word of the Lord, the valley of the dry bones changed. It's changing. Hope, in other words, is reorienting life in real space and real time. Tomorrow is beginning right before Ezekiel. Tomorrow begins today. Bones reconnect. Bones take on flesh. They literally embody. Bones begin to breathe and come to life. So can tomorrow be better? Only God can say, and God says yes. And so tomorrow begins today. God makes a direct connection now between what Ezekiel is experiencing and real space, real time, real situation with Israel. Look at verse 11. Then he said to him, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they shall say, O bones, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. There's the desolation. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves. O my people, I will bring you into the land of Israel. And there's the hope. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you. And you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Do you see... The dried bones are a picture of Ezekiel and in turn a picture for us of our dried up lives, of our desolation. But it's also a picture of how hope reorients bones by God's voice, by God's power, by God's will. This, this, is, this reconnection, this new flesh, this, this breath introduces a fresh idea in biblical thought. Resurrection. This is one of the only places where the idea of resurrection is introduced into the Old Testament. Notice, God sent people from the graves. Not only so, but he promises to put his very own spirit in them. God makes a connection between the hope of dry bones to live and that dead bodies will one day rise from the dead. He's talking about resurrection. So Ezekiel's vision is a vision of hope meant to encourage Israel in the middle of their desolation about what God was up to. And in the same way, church, my sisters and my brothers, this passage is meant to lift your spirit in the middle of desolation, that your God is about resurrection, that your God is about bringing life to that which is dead. Therefore, in Chicago, in our neighborhoods, and in our families, in our schools, in our country, can these bones live? Can tomorrow be better? Only God can say. And God says yes. And so tomorrow begins today. But what's really important is as hopeful as that is and as fired up as we can get about it, what's it even mean? What's that actually mean? What's that look like? Well, let's think about this. One of the ways we talk about resurrection or even being a follower of Jesus, being a Christian, is being born again. And this language was introduced by Jesus in John chapter 3 to a man named Nicodemus. And Jesus answered him in in John 3, verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And if you'd like a good laugh, I think opening the scriptures, John 3 is hilarious because Nicodemus just does not understand. And he is like, wait, so you're saying, how am I supposed to, my mom, she's going to give birth to me again? It's, It's wild. And so if you ever feel like you don't understand what Jesus is talking about, read Nicodemus. He'll give you hope. He'll help you feel seen, right? 
But I do find it interesting that when Jesus says that to be born again is to see the kingdom, that we usually think about the kingdom of God as about where we're going, right? A place that we one day will be residents of. But, but Jesus speaks about seeing the kingdom. Jesus talks about the ability to understand and perceive of something that otherwise you are blind to. It's about seeing the kingdom. The kingdom, church, is the rule and reign of God, which he inaugurated at his birth, at his death, and yes, even his resurrection. And and what he even taught his disciples to pray is that that kingdom would come more and more. In other words, that we'd see it more and more, that we'd see the fullness of his reign and his rule expressed. His kingdom, he says, is going to come to earth, and his people are meant to be a participant's in that kingdom coming. Tomorrow begins today. So what are the specific ways that we see resurrection bring hope into desolation of our everyday lives? A few thoughts. While people are disconnected, resurrection builds bridges. People are disconnected disconnected, and resurrection builds bridges. <laughs> Through the resurrection of Christ, he makes a way from death into life. It's, it's not simply, as we often think, that he has made a way for dead followers of Jesus or dead believers to make it into the afterlife, but that, that bridge goes both ways, if you will. That yes, it means that we get to be with God in his presence forever by his grace, but it also means that heaven starts showing up now. Heaven is not the place that one day we will reside. It's the rule and reign of King Jesus that is invading this earth. This is why when we look at Revelation, People on earth don't go up to heaven. Heaven comes down to the people who are in earth. It's a fundamental misunderstanding about the life after life after death. We are not all going to go to a place, but rather the place where Jesus dwells is coming down to us. So what does it look like? It's not simply that spiritually dead people can come to life, but, but a way has been made through the resurrected Lord that the realities of heaven can make a home here on earth. Jesus builds a bridge In her book, Be the Bridge, author Latasha Morris explains this relationship, particularly as it relates to racial reconciliation. If repentance, she writes, requires turning and walking away from the sins of our past, doesn't it require walking towards something more reparative? So reparations and repentance are intricately intertwined, and those who inherited the power and benefits of past wrongs should work to make it right for those who've inherited the burdens and the oppression of the past. See, resurrection people build bridges through repentance. So one of the ways we see life happen in this existence tomorrow is to not be a people who want to prove to the world that we're really, really righteous, but actually repent as the Lord brings those things to mind. Repentance is the power that brings life. So evil one tells you it's the opposite. If people really know your sin, they'll create distance. But what the scriptures teach us, when we expose, we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And he is in the light. You'll have fellowship with one another. It actually draws you and it creates intimacy. See, resurrection people build bridges through repentance, but not only so. Resurrection people build bridges by laying down their rights and their cultural power. So we, don't, we aren't people who fight to protect all of our rights. We are a people that say, what can I lay down for the benefit of someone else? What is it that I can let go of in order to lift somebody else up? See, resurrection people build bridges for the sake of reconnecting and reconciling as God in Christ, through the resurrection, has built one to us. The resurrection reconnects us. So we are a people risen from the dead to do what? Build bridges. So how does hope show up tomorrow? As I lay down my rights and I repent of my sin, and all of a sudden, 
those who are disconnected find life and connection. Not only so, but people embody judgment. Resurrection embodies love. In an age of judgment, the resurrection gives us hope that we can embody something better. In particular, we can embody intimacy and love with our physical presence. See, one of the most striking things that Jesus did in the resurrection story is he didn't just rise from the dead and then go be with his father. He like showed up in real space in real time with hundreds of people. Why does he do that? Why, why does he take time to actually interact? Jesus literally and actually rose from the dead, or as the kids say, like IRL, right? Like in real life, Jesus rises from the dead. Why does, why does he do this and then make encounters with people? Well, I think one of my favorite stories in all the Bible, Luke chapter 24, Jesus is on the road to Emmaus with these people. And they're trying to put all of this together. Like how could God like do this? We thought this was the hope and Jesus like, they don't know it's him. And all of a sudden he like opens their eyes and they see that it is him. What is created through that is actually intimacy. It's love. When Jesus shows up in real space and real time with people, following him isn't an idea, it's a relationship. That therefore, when he presents himself in resurrection form and he draws near, intimacy and love and relationship are birthed out of the resurrection. That he is a God who draws near. Notice even in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 37, three different times he explains the purpose behind all of these prophecies. In verse 6, verse 13, and 14, what is it? You shall know that I am the Lord. So what's the point of this vision? What's the point of these bones coming back together? What's the point of prophesying all of this? So that you would know the Lord. So you'd have relationship with him. So that you'd have intimacy with him. See, people embody judgment, but resurrection embodies love. God wants you to know him. God wants you to see him bring life to dry bones and dead bodies and desolate communities. It's not for judgment and condemnation. Resurrection is for intimacy and relationship and love. Resurrection people, then what do we do? Embody love. We do this by, by searching for the image of God in someone, not the hole in their argument. We search for the image of God in someone when we encounter them, not how can I win this thing. So a lot of times in argumentation, and some of us aren't bold enough to like get on Facebook and really get after people, but man, we have some debates in our heads, don't we? If I really, you know, if I wasn't a Christian, I'd take you to tech, Right? Is our disposition in that to be right or to show love? The scriptures have something to say about that. We don't look for reasons to dismiss, to win, and reject. We look for reasons and ways to draw near and show love just as God in Christ has done for us. After all, I want to suggest to you the world does not meet Jesus when we judge them. Rather, John teaches us that they will know we belong to Jesus when we do what? We love. When we love. Resurrection then puts flesh on the gospel. It embodies love. And can you imagine in a generation of judgment if the church would start loving people, how distinct and beautiful and true and life-giving that would be? We are a people risen from the dead to embody love. People are languishing, and resurrection brings life. Throughout this passage in Ezekiel, God has promised to breathe breath into these bones and subsequently his people. The Hebrew word here for breath is ruach, which is the same word in Genesis 1-2, and the ruach of God was hovering over the face of the water. And again in Job 33 verse 4, the ruach of God 
has made me, Job says, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. And then in Ezekiel 37, verse 14, I will put my ruach within you and you shall me life. And then in Ezekiel 37, verse 14, I will put my ruach within you and you shall The ruach of God or the breath of God or the spirit of God is there are two ways to live. There is a life to the spirit and by our sin, our and by our sin, our dried up bones, our society live according to the flesh. But when God breathes life through resurrection, we are reborn as people who now no longer live that way, but are able and empowered and commanded to live by the Spirit of God. Romans 8, 6 says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Now we learn to, to live according to the Spirit is not you do all the right things now, right? In the flesh, you do bad things, and in the spirit, you do good things. We learn that setting our mind on the spirit is about our loves being in proper order. Resurrection then brings life because it properly orders our affections. It reprioritizes our understanding of the world and what matters and brings life and what doesn't. In particular, I think that we find that our landing things going on is our letter out of order. You're misprioritizing what we ought to be doing and what's happening. And part of it is because we can't the details of our life. We're, we are in the midst of sorrow and confusion. In particular, I think one of the reasons, and just one, one of the reasons that we are languishing, and I think that I can discern in my own life, is when my feelings become too central. And one of the challenges in this age is to understand the difference between my feelings and my faith. Usually the way I feel about God, I equate to I have faith in God. But the scriptures actually never bring those two together. Your emotions are important teachers and important indications, but they're not the substance of our faith, right? So we make a decision. I think in the middle of that, in the middle of our languishing, we seek entertainment to bring us out of languishing. We seek pleasure to bring us out or anything that seems fun. Like a vacation, we often look at this will resurrect my life. As soon as I get there and experience that, I mean, real talk, six months of no, nothing over 50 degrees, I get it. You want to just get somewhere. The sunshine will resurrect my spirit, right? The problem with that is you all know this as well as I do. At some point, that runs dry and we need another fix. Jesus is the only one who speaks life into your bones and that life doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't wear off. It continues to bring life everlasting because ordering our loves according to the Spirit brings us life. See, we are a people risen from the dead to live by the Spirit. See, what God has done in and through Ezekiel is he's really just made us a promise. For you today, church, for you, my sister, for you, my brother, for us as a community, he's made a promise. And his promise in the short term to Israel, to exiled Israel, was that he would liberate them. And he's made a promise, therefore, in the long term to all of his people who face desolation in their existence. And in this life, what's his promise? He promises that tomorrow will be better. And in Christ, because of his resurrection, he says tomorrow begins today. So may we be a people who live in that hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that in the middle of this desolation that we are experiencing in our disconnection, in our embodiment of judgment, 
and in our languishing in our souls that we have sinned against you, that we have not trusted you. We've looked to ourselves. We've looked to the pleasures of this life. We've looked to even our own righteousness and our own doing good to pull us out of these ruts. And yet, Ezekiel's word is clear that it is when you speak that life comes. So we ask for your forgiveness, and you're just so faithful to love us that you're not the father that says, see, I told you so, shame on you. But you say, I'm your father, come. Let me clothe you in righteousness. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. That's what we need. We need a kind of rest and life that goes beyond the weekend, beyond the fleeting thrills and fleeting pleasures of this life. So would you fill us with that, that kind of hope that transforms us today, that transforms us on the spot, that changes the composition of our school systems and neighborhoods, our hearts and government structures and the way that we look at social media and the way that we look at social media. Resurrection changes things, changes us. We know it will change this world. In Jesus' name, amen.